Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Got to turn on the microphone there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. Uh, We are back at it again. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And we're going to be doing this again like we do. Um, All right, so programming note next week no show right because you're going to be you're going to be on the road all good okay not bad to take a break every now and again (laughs) yeah so uh so no no uh no show next week and then the week after that we've actually got an idea for a topic so we're still gonna be prepared sort of right in theory (laughs) in theory all right, so um, we had had an idea. You you had suggested this, uh, so I'll let you set it up. Well, yeah, I mean, we we talk a lot about movies and TV and and <clears throat> talked about audiobooks not too long ago, podcasts, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know the troubles of adapting things and and a lot of things that that you know are very relevant to a lot of pop culture going on right now, a lot of genre culture, uh, but we haven't talked in a while about what's actually on our shelves right now. What are we picking up and reading? What is, what are the books that we have in front of us? And, uh, you know, uh, this is also a really cheap and easy way for us to get recommendations from you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have some suggestions or stuff for us to read? Uh, but yeah, there's, I, I tend to do a, a mix of reading and listening to audiobooks, Right. You know, of, and, and, one of the things that I've noticed over the last several years is, and some of this again comes out of the fact that a good chunk of, you know, it was a four-year period of time that I was basically driving all the time. So I listened to a ton of audiobooks, and I would actually pick an author, and if I liked that book, I'd start, you know, I'd grab a whole bunch of other books by them. Sure. And that's continued into my my physical copy reading habits at this point. Yeah. And certainly you pick up new things, but... Um, if I stumble across a new author or someone who I haven't read before, um, and I'm like, I really like this book, and it's like, start snatching up the the other things that uh, uh, that they they've written, and you know, more often than not, if you if you like a book by an author, you possible you're going to like the other stuff they've written. No guarantees. Not every not every book is created equal, uh, even among the author's own own works, and. Uh, right. Some authors are not particularly shy about saying, "Oh no, that was a bad book." <laughs> I one I was very young when I wrote that book. One that springs to mind immediately is Black House, the sequel to The Talisman from Stephen King and Peter Straub. Not as good as The Talisman. And I didn't dislike The Black House. It's a different tone, and I, and I yeah. think that there's there the um is the element of the fairy tale of the myth to the talisman mm-hmm. that the black house doesn't have. And to some degree, that's a perspective shift of the characters because they're not children anymore. Right. But it's, it's, it's offsetting because it, it feels like it's not a consistent voice in the series of stories because 
you're well only two books well i know well i yeah but you have the you have this like you're talking about the tone but the way the narrative plays out and the the structure of it uh black house just didn't seem like the execution was as completely there for me and i i don't know if there's i i don't think there's any one particular thing that i could pinpoint and sit there and say this is why it doesn't work as well but you know i i got through the book and i thought oh okay that was that was okay you know i i wasn't as impressed with it as i was with the talisman i guess so well interestingly enough uh, peter straub's <clears throat> Uh, I, I read quite a bit of Peter Straub because he's again one of those authors that I, I'd go on a binge with. Yeah. And you'd look at something like um, Mystery, which is, interestingly enough, a mystery novel uh, with some supernatural hints along the way. Um, but it also ties into, it's essentially a very loosely connected trilogy of books, one of which includes the novel Coco. And I didn't particularly care for Coco. It, it wasn't that it was bad. It just didn't necessarily resonate with me. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it anywhere near as much right. as I enjoyed Mystery. And it's a perfectly fine novel. Peter Straub is, is one of those horror authors that doesn't get anywhere near the uh, recognition that he deserves. Uh, we mentioned uh, um, on the Films That Needed Remakes, Ghost Story. He was the author of the novel Ghost Story, uh, and it's a it's a great novel uh, yeah. of you know sins of the past coming back to haunt you literally. Um, but you know there's so there's that's just a thing that happens. I mean, and I think that of course you come back and you look at interestingly enough. I mean, you know, um, King is one of those authors that he has so many books that really defined his uh fame as, as a writer you know we're we're in the early days right of of his writing career and yet he's had this you know renaissance really in the last five ten years where people are saying you know all of these books that he's putting out now are just great um and he's getting you know he's had i think one come out i can't remember the name of the title but it was like a, a, quite a bit of, of critical praise for just the quality of the writing. Sure. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, he, it's his career, you know, and he's another author who's been more than once pointed out that there are certain books, books of his that yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> um, and, and, and one of his books, one of the Richard Bachman books that he wrote that was about a school shooting that he said, you know, he, he deliberately ensured it went out of print and has basically said it will never be in print again yeah uh because he's you know he, he doesn't he's not pleased with the book and he thinks the book was irresponsible on his own part which is you know hey if you're gonna if you're gonna uh if a, if a book is gonna you know go off the shelves and the author's going yeah let's take that off the shelves um you know go with the author's opinion on that one guys <laughs> Well, I've and... read the book. I've read it, by the way. Mm. Uh, I worked for a used bookstore for a long time. And at, this, <sighs> at the same time, though, I think 
and and King's not the only one that's done this, where you pull something off. I mean, there was that big brouhaha about Dr. Seuss's family pulling certain books out of the out of the public, you know, visibility spectrum type of thing. Oh, it was taken off the shoes. I mean, it was unnecessary, but you know, it happened. There was the debate, and it does raise an interesting question. And not to get too too far sidetracked uh, on this but the idea Jason, of you you've seen our show i right? know i know i know we i know digressions here but it's, when it's you have skill. when you have a book that's been published and it's out there mm-hmm. and it gets whatever reception that it gets good or bad or mixed or or whatnot at what point is there a point where it no longer belongs to the author well Okay, so the death of the author is yeah. a concept, and the idea being that um, what the author in it, it comes back to what the author intended versus what the audience perceives, right? Right, so and that usually goes to interpretation, right? Yeah. And so the idea, so authorial intent um, is important. Mm-hmm. Audience reception is important. Right, they don't always agree, and some authors. Oh, there's a guy right now. <laughs> but when he just a, wrote an article, but when there's a guy author, right now who just hmm? when an author sits there and says, "You know, I don't, I don't know that that book needs to be out there," but everybody that's read it says, "No, this is a great book. This is a wonderful book. You should, you should keep it going." I mean, who, who well, ultimately I mean, gets to be the arbiter of? Well, the fact is that the books are still out there. So it's just yeah. it was like the it was like the whole the whole dumb Dr. Seuss thing is it's like guys they're not coming to take the books off your shelves. They're not going to the bookstores to take them off the shelves. They're just not printing new ones. Mm-hmm. Here's a here's a newsflash. There are these things called used bookstores. Yeah. And you can find amazing things there. <laughs> um and so when the, when an author makes that decision, I'm perfectly perfectly fine with that. Um, and again, my my background is in books. My background is in the publishing. You know, my 15 years in in the book dealing world. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that I get. The, then then you see people who are shooting themselves in the metaphorical head. Um, there's a British author who last I think it was last year he got the award for the worst sex scene. <laughs> um, and it and it was a thing, right? People. It, yeah. And then he he got very upset. Which, to some degree, you can understand. You've done the work, and people look at it and go, "Oh no, this is bad." <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately for him, and this is this is make a note, folks. Here's here's how to deal with someone criticizing your work. Don't keep bringing it up, <laughs> because he just published a a article somewhere where he basically was like. It's so hard, and I'm, I'm not making this up. This is I, it's so hard to be a man in publishing, and consequently, he's getting raked over the coals by everybody who isn't him. Uh, because you know, there's male, there's men publishers going, um, excuse me, and there's men, women authors going, uh, excuse me, and male authors going, excuse me, and and well, basically everyone's like. But you wrote this terrible sex scene. You don't have the vantage point for yeah. this. Well, it it does it does raise a question. And and again, this is not I, I not not the weeds we want to get in the depths of. 
But over the last few years, and and this is you know perhaps a perception thing more than it is a reality for some people. But when you have so much emphasis on the marginalized groups, let's say, uh, you know, where it's, you know, you see, and I see a lot of this with calls for submissions, you know, various different anthologies and different publishers and different uh, literary agents. They're all out there. And they're all looking for stories written by women. They're all looking for stories written by people of color or indigenous people or all of those, you know, minority groups. Sure. Sure. And white men no longer need apply, it feels like. And and I know that's not the reality of it. No, it's not. The but, publishing world, over the last, you know, with, with the rise of the internet, of course, and this was a big concern back when, when the brick-and-mortar stores were yeah. looking over at the the online world and going, uh Oh yeah. Um, and I was in, I was working for borders back at this time and we were all expecting, you know, just horrible things to happen. And it didn't happen yeah. because people do like physical books in their hands. They like browsing. They like browsing in a store versus, and folks like browsing online. There's nothing wrong with browsing online, but it changed the dynamic and how things worked. The publishing world is the same way. There has been some contraction. There is no question. Yeah that there's been contraction with the number of publishers, but it also has expansions into different aspects of publishing. So yes, there is certainly a recognition that there are, there is an audience for, um, you know, women writers, uh, indigenous writers, marginalized or whatever, you know, the beyond the, you know, old white English dude of literature. Yeah. Right. Um, but it also doesn't mean that those guys are getting pushed out. There's a, definitely a place for them. There's definitely a place in that industry for them. And their books are not disappearing from the <laughs> shelves. And they are not, you're not seeing them show up in bookstores because they are. Um, the difference is, is that I think that, again, we're, we're seeing this and, and where, whether you agree with this or not, folks, um, the, what people are, how people are, are considering what entertainment gets uh, you know, called for or put out for exposure or or how people are marketing that sort of stuff. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, there have been women's authors anthologies for as long as there have been women authors and anthologies. Oh, sure. Yeah. And and, and I'm not and, saying that this is anything new, but right. it's just more it's just more visible, I think, because because of the I think the, it's I think it's I think it's connected to social media more than anything else. Oh, and, you know, yeah, when we get into yes. those discussions about how terrible the social media is, because in that space, especially over on Twitter, uh, you, you see a lot. And I've I've seen a lot of rage and outrage and anger and rage about the white man and the patriarchy. And I could be, I'm seeing a a small sliver of Twitter, but it's Twitter. I mean, it's, it's a dumpster fire all the way around anyway, but there are certain, there are certain discussions that kind of cycle through. It's like churn after, you know, in the, in the wake of a boat that just kind of, this stuff comes to the surface every now and again, and it can get ugly. The loudest voices on Twitter 
are almost always the folks you want to not listen to right because i don't i don't care where they stand i don't care if i agree with them a hundred percent if they're screaming that loud i don't want to have a drink with this person i don't want to have a conversation <laughs> with this person because they don't know how to use their inside voice right and you know and i can find if i'm going to go to twitter there are a lot more interesting people to look at now i'm not saying you can't have have debate or criticism by all means it's social media if we took the criticism out of social media, it would disappear entirely. <laughs> Hang on. I know, right? Right? Uh, but but the reverse side of that is there is, and we, we will get around to our topic, I swear. Um, this is, again, this is just our this. way of getting past the YouTube algorithms, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, there is a, I want to say it's a British, it's a British law that's being proposed British or Canadian? I'm not. I'm not certain. I just. I saw it in glancing today, um, and it's designed to help make the social media space less horrid. <laughs> Good luck with that. The problem is, is that the the and and it's like I said, it's one of the, it's it's an English speaking country that doesn't have the the very distinct First Amendment right. rules that we have. Uh, and so consequently, they don't have to worry about certain things that would trip some, a law up here because of the First Amendment. Uh, but the idea is basically we're going to make we're going to make these these spaces less of a dumpster fire. The problem is, is that because I, I pay one of the places I pay attention is law Twitter. And they're all going, oh, no, guys, <laughs> we understand what you're trying to do. Yeah but you don't understand the consequences of what's going to happen because we do, because we've seen the case law of when someone tried something similar yeah. and it doesn't have to be social media. It's just like, you're, you need to go talk to a lawyer <laughs> who knows their history. And that's, and, and, and that's what we, we see that in the States too, which well, is yeah, somebody rolls out those, a law that's well, like, that's and it starts, not going to last. It starts with, there ought to be a law. And somebody gets it in their head, you know, they get okay, some bugaboo. That, that and something must be done. Yes, yes. Now, now the I'm only not saying time... that there are times when there are times when there ought to be a law and something must be done are true and things can change because we said we as a we realize we accept that something must be and should be done. Yeah. There the, are positives to that. The only However, time that I have ever seen there ought to be a law work in a positive way is when somebody in Georgia wrote a law requiring restaurants to serve sweet tea. Outside of that, I have never seen there ought to be a law end well 100% of the time for everybody. Oh, well, see, 100% of the time... <laughs> is never I know that's right? unrealistic expectations. So me, people are involved. I know, I, <laughs> I know, mean, I know. People, I like people. I really do, but they're a mess. Yeah, they're a mess. Which so, is why we like books. So we're going to talk about right. books. So we're going to talk about books. All right. In the remaining five minutes of our show, I am. Um, <laughs> I am going to start with one that I just read here. Uh, I finished it about. Oh, I want to say about three weeks ago. It is a book that came in for review. It's called The Second Star. It's by Alma Alexander. We did an interview with her on Live from the Bunker. We had her 
three weeks ago, I think. I don't know if, if Mrs. Boss is monitoring the, the show. She can find the link there and post it in the chat. Um, it's an interesting book. It is about... You have... Okay, so you have the first humans that go out into space. Mm-hmm. And they disappear. And society goes along, plods along, and these people have been uh, canonized at this point because, you know, they've disappeared. We don't know anything about what happened to them. 200 years later, another crew goes out, and they find the first crew still alive, haven't aged that much because of time and relativity. Time violation, Yeah, time violation. And so they bring them back. Except when they get them back, they realize that these six people actually have now split personalities. So there's some 72 different individual personas in the ship. Interesting. And so now they're isolated. And they bring in this psychiatrist who's trying to figure out what's going on. And they bring sure. in a priest. And they, you know, they're trying to figure out what happened to them? And of course, they're not very forthcoming. And you have to figure out, well, which person am I talking to right now? Right, you know, right. all of that. And it's an interesting concept. I think the execution is about 85% there. Mm. Uh, it starts because it some of the dialogue, and I haven't written my review on it yet, but some of the dialogue is a little bit more, I don't want to say clinical, but more book report-ish as opposed to just feeling like natural dialogue, like just just conversational dialogue. Mm -hmm. It feels feels like a combination of clinical and book report. And there's a lot of repeats, a lot of things that people say more than Mm -hmm. once. And in the the last... (coughs) The last fifth of the book maybe the last sixth of the book it kind of it kind of says rails slightly (laughs) okay it i mean it doesn't it doesn't go completely sideways it still it still is a conclusion that kind of follows whatever what what's come before but it's not a satisfactory ending for me Mm, okay. Sure. I guess I could say. I mean, it's, uh, it's an ending. It's not where I would have taken the story. I guess this is my right. thing. Uh, but it's not a bad book. I mean, it's 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 pretty good. I mean, second star, Alma Alexander. I mean, I I could recommend it. But it's it's not a strong finish, you know. Right. So. I do have this other one here. I have not started reading it yet. Uh, well, I, I started the first chapter because we interviewed Cat Rambo last, was it last week? Week before last. This is her new one. It's not out yet. It's called You Sexy Thing. And it's about a crew of soldiers who escape their service in order to go into the arts. And that's the only excuse that the mil- this military will accept. If you want to not serve, you have to go do something artistic. And so they open a restaurant. 
And okay. the idea is if the restaurant fails or if people figure out that they've did, they did the restaurant just to get out of the service, then the commanding officer gets her brain sucked into this mind hive forever. Because that's what happens when you're done with your service is they take okay. it. It's kind of like the idea of the Katra from Vulcans. Right. Sure. Only instead of the spirit coming in and being stored for consultations, it's the actual brain. They brain you in a jar. They brain you in a jar. So I'm I'm interested to see how this one's going to work out. The first couple of chapters are pretty interesting, but you know it's yeah. So that's that's what the those are a couple that I've got on my table. I'll I'll turn it over and let you mention a couple okay. of things, and then I've got a couple others. So I just finished. Uh, the Last Graduate, okay. and this is the second book in the Scholomance series by a, an author named Naomi Novik, and I think Naomi Novik is writing some of the best fantasy uh, out there right now. I think she's um, I think she's wonderful. I have picked up everything that I have got my can get my hands on. Um, uh, I'm diving back into her earlier series, but mm -hmm. she's written she wrote a fantasy novel called Uprooted. And a fantasy novel called Spinning Silver. Now, Spinning Silver is basically a cross between like Rumpelstiltskin, very heavily influenced by Rumpelstiltskin. It's the core of the of the story, yep. but it's also very he heavily influenced by Eastern European myth and folklore. And these are beautifully written novels with really interesting characters. Um. Uh, primarily her point of view characters are, are, are women. Um, but all the characters in her books are extremely well-developed and they are, they basically take these, these myth concepts that are familiar to you mm -hmm. and then goes, aha, but what if we did dot, dot, dot. Um, and they're very rich and very lush in terms of um, description and, and um, uh, just the depth of the storytelling. I really, really like this this lady's writing. In case you, you know, weren't weren't getting that impression, I, I gathered a little yeah. bit. So, so the but these are not these are novels that I think are are primarily aimed at adult audiences, not adult like in racy or anything, but in terms of of you know I think somehow very much at the. The contemporary grown-up market, right? Yeah. Market. So, so, so somehow I just don't, I just can't imagine you reading racy adult <sighs> material. But you know what? You know what? I haven't. There is an author that I'm a big fan of, uh, and he writes a science fiction series, and he writes a fantasy series, and he writes a smutty series. And the smutty <laughs> series is really entertaining. Um, but anyway, that's not one of the books we're going to talk about. Um, so she has got, a, she started a series called the Scholoman series. And basically it's, what if, imagine the Harry Potter world, except they send, they send these young wizards off to school because if they stay out in the real world, the magical creatures will kill them. Hmm. Basically, you, you get sent to school so that you have a chance of survival. Gotcha. The problem is, is that you are j just as likely to die in the school. <laughs> 
And the graduation rate for most classes is in the 20% range mm. with the other 80% being fatalities. Because they can't make it through the classes. Or because whatever, the, whatever something has picked them off. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny that you mention Harry Potter because um, uh, I did, I, I uh, didn't really cover this topic, but a, a few a few episodes back on on Bunker, I was talking about uh, the idea of creativity, and mm-hmm. we make the joke a lot uh, about. A, a particular generation of people that the only thing that they've ever read is Harry Potter and all of their experiences get filtered through Harry Potter or Twilight. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still of the opinion that there is a, there is a lost generation out there who only knows Harry Potter and they don't know anything else. And some of them are trying to tell stories in existing universes and they shouldn't. I, I, I yeah, I, I can, I can see that. Yeah. I still, my still, my, one of my favorite early days of the Harry Potter publishing thing was somebody asking Terry Pratchett, um, mm. what he thought of it. And he's like, I don't, well, I don't, I mean, she's not writing anything new. Yeah. And, um, anyway, Different topic, different subject. So the second book in the series uh, of, of the Skolomance series came out in September. And it's uh, the first book is basically, you know, uh, freshman year, sophomore year, and then and then kind of a bit of a time jump. You get into the senior year. Sure. Um, and the mysteries of the school and the relationships these younger people are forming with each other, the first glimmers of first love, the fact that they're all just a little bit warped by the world that they live in, yeah. um, how they're, they're being essentially taught that it's okay to let your fellow students die if you live. And it's just, <laughs> and it's told from the point of view, one of the fun things, it's told from the point of view of a young woman who has been told since she was a child that she will be an evil necromancer. Mm. And so her entire world by her grandmother. Not, and not, her, grand, her grandmother basically disowned her and, and kicked her, her and her mom out. Now, and, is this is this a, a prophecy that she's seen or she's making right, an assumption? Yeah, yeah no, it's a prophecy. Oh, okay, all her, right. Her, so, the, the, the family has a history, the, the, there's a history of, of true prophecy in the family. Gotcha. Okay. And consequently, um, they basically banish her and her mother, uh, who has also got magical abilities, runs, tends to run in bloodlines. Um, but not necessarily. It pops up, you know, all the time, wild all the time. Sure. Um, but you can end up with like dynasties of wizards. Um, and so she's been told from childhood, you know, you're a terrible person. You're going to grow into an awful person. She's like, I'd really rather not. But the problem is, is that if people, because it's like anything else, if somebody tells you that one over there is going to be evil. Nature versus nurture. Especially when it's a kid. Yeah. Other kids are going to treat him that way. And so she's like, "Mm -hmm." well, 
comes a point where she can't hide it anymore and she's in an, an enclosed space with about a thousand uh, uh, magic users who are now either hate her, scared of her, you know. And so it's the, the writing on this is a lot of now it's geared a little bit younger. Um, I'm going to say it really is kind of been it's it's that it's that weird area where it's kind of getting marketed as young adult. Right. But I think does, if if you are a fan of fantasy, if you liked however you feel about about Harry Potter, um, if you like the concept, because, again, not original to Harry Potter, wizard school. Right. Um, again, Naomi Novik, she's a fantastic writer. I am really, really kind of champing at the bit. There's about a year in between these novels. And I have to, the fact that I have to wait <laughs> almost a year for the, for the, the end of the trilogy yeah. is like any, like any, any other book series you're enjoying. You're like, really? Yeah. Which is why I never got into Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, and speaking of champing the bit, I am, I'm, I'm waiting. I, I'm, I've got it. I have, mm-hmm. To End in Fire, this is the latest Honor Harrington Universe book. This is... It is. It is the culmination of probably 20 novels all coming together in this tome right here. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and and oddly enough, I've seen chatter online people not being able to get it. I mean, this thing just came out last month. I think October. I think October six or something was the publication date, and gone. People weren't able to see it. And some of it could be supply chain, maybe or or what. But uh, this showed up here at the at the studio, and I'm like, oh, thank you. But <laughs> given how much is going on. And where this thing starts, I've been going through and I've been reading all of the other oh, sure. mm-hmm. uh, Harrington books. And it's it it reminds me because we were talking, uh, Mindy and I were talking about the fact that um, these books are similar to the Horatio Hornblower books right. you know, by C.S. Mm-hmm. Forrester. And that goes back to my whole thing about the creativity of things because... It's it shouldn't if you're in the science fiction or fantasy or horror niche, and especially if you're creating in those in any of those, uh, it it still would seem to be a good idea to expose yourself to other genres, to uh, especially to classic literature, because. I would agree. You know, like you say, you know, Harry Potter is nothing new. And you see a lot of things, uh, you know, Star Trek Picard, the first season of Star Trek Picard got pilloried for all of the stuff that we've seen before and all of this other stuff. And they're just taking different ideas from other shows and video games and all of this. And we we just finished watching Stargate Atlantis here. Mm-hmm. And Stargate Universe is next. Right. And because that's the one that came afterwards, they canceled Atlantis to do universe. And Minnie was asking me about it. And she's like, well, you know, I, I hear some comments. Universe wasn't really all that well received. It's because it was Star Trek Voyager. It was basically Stargate Voyager. You know, the ship gets lost out in the thing, but it's it's Voyager. It's lost in space. It's the lost saucer. I mean, 
<laughs> you know, it's it's not a new concept. No. And they it, have it's Robert Carlyle as a yeah. unpleasant scientist, and Robert Carlyle can do unpleasant and brainy. He's so good at it. He, yeah. If there's one reason to watch that show, it's to watch Robert Carlyle be unpleasant to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it might not be enough for you. He's kind of, <laughs> he's Stargate's Dr. Smith. As, as you know, he, Dr. He, Smith was originally conceived before ex- it turned well, into a comedy. Except that, well, except that Dr. Smith, he was originally conceived, was a villain. Yeah, he was the uh, saboteur. Robert Carlyle's character is not actually a villain. He's just deeply, deeply unpleasant. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's... <laughs> I think if you, had, if you had taken Lost in Space and continued past the, the pilot with how, how Dr. Smith was originally portrayed, because he went out there, he sabotaged the ship. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't supposed to be on the ship when it when it blasted off, right. so he's stuck. And past that point, he's kind of yeah, sort of maybe the villain still. But it's just now you have to get along with all of these people because you're stuck. And if they, I think it would have been much more interesting if they had gone that direction and done that. I mean, I think well, I think you've kind of done that a little bit with the Netflix reboot. Yeah, no, they, they, they have. I, I think that they actually done some interesting things in terms of, of taking Dr. Smith in a, in a serious... I mean, there's... Dr. Smith is still funny. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of humor because, of course, you know, with Parker Posey. Yeah. Um, but Parker Posey can give you deadpan snark <laughs> extremely well. So I, I actually... Yeah, but I think, I think, I think they, reading reading other things like Shakespeare... Or Melville, or uh, Homer. Well, but we well, were talking. I think, I think I think you look at you know you look at some of the inspirations for major you know these huge comic book characters, right? You mm-hmm. leave these classic. You think of somebody like uh, Superman, right? Yeah. Um, but Superman as a concept was not particularly original. You had um, there were other there were other strong men heroes that mm-hmm. preceded him. There were um, almost indestructible heroes who um, who preceded him. Um, and in his earliest versions, his you know fresh uh, fresh off the printer uh, uh, earliest issues, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between him and some of these previous characters. Batman is heavily influenced by the shadow and Sherlock Holmes and things yeah. like that. So you can pull these information from, you know, inspiration from these other sources, but those authors were reading those other sources. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too. You look at the original Star Trek, for example, and you see how many scripts were written by, by, People, I mean, Robert Block and Theodore Sturgeon and, you know, a lot of these guys who were writing science fiction back in the 40s and 50s. And, right. and you know, this yes, this was a new medium, but they were familiar with all of the trappings and could tell a science fiction story. And then, you know, Roddenberry got his hands on it and turned it into Star Trek story. But you also have... I think a need 
to expand because the people that are creating the thing, if all you've done is you've grown up on Star Trek or you've grown up on Star Wars and now you're making the thing over here, if your creativity and imagination is informed only by this small set of things that you've seen, then you're essentially just basically making a fan film at that point. You know, you need to broaden You definitely run that risk, yeah. Yes. What? Just to let you know when you're finished. Just, yes. You know the drawer? Yes. The oven? We have a mouse? And it's still alive, mouse? We have a mouse, ladies and gentlemen. It's just an extra guest in the house. Well, uh, it's in the oh, all right. Uh, we, I had a mouse that would run out when you could you go back into this right. dark space back here. There's a there's a door, a couple of doors, one of which leads to the pantry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would sit there and I'd see periodically a mouse run out from underneath that door. Yeah. Um grab cat food and run into the fridge. And I'm pretty sure the cats actually got the mouse eventually. Yeah. Uh, the mouse stopped coming around. I, uh, but I was just like bold move mouse. Yeah. Bold move. When I moved after, after we got married and I moved, um, we pulled, when we pulled the refrigerator out from the kitchen, there was a dead mouse under there. I have no no idea how long it was there. But apparently now we have a mouse. Okay, great. There you go. I've got my plans for the evening. <clears throat> <laughs> oh. I tell you, it's not one thing, it's another, right? That's right. Um, uh, an author that is... I initially discovered this author through Audible uh, as an audiobook. And I think that one of the things that we've seen... Audible has their own originals series. Mm-hmm. Basically, they do their own publishing, right? Their own audio publishing, uh, which is great because a lot of times they have a really fantastic stable of really fine voice actors, uh, which makes the experience very enjoyable. And this is how I discovered this guy. He's named Luke Smithered, and he is a, um, a British author. And he has started off self-published and built an audience right. um, through his audiobooks. And then, of course, now he's moved into the into the into the publishing, uh, larger publishing world. Uh, but he built up a reputation. Uh, he's write, written a lot of novellas, um, and and written some novels. And um, I think I mentioned this before. He's, he writes a series called The Stone Man. Uh, and basically, it's one day in this English town, a giant stone man is just there. Hmm. It's not moving. It's just there to suddenly appears and if you didn't see it happen you're like huh how interesting there's a new statue if you saw it you're freaking out because it it wasn't there a second ago and now it is and everyone's like what is this thing and then it starts walking and nothing stops it it's going in a straight line and it doesn't matter what they throw at it with if there's people in the way, they become paste. Mm. If there's a building in the way, it becomes rubble. If there, if the military comes in and they're like, uh, and it's just like, no, <laughs> keeps going. 
Nothing can touch it. It's just going in a straight line. And so the question becomes, where is it going? Why is it going there? Can we stop this thing? And there are two books in that series so far. Um, And what I really like about that series, it's not the one, not the book I'm going to talk about, but I really like about that series is that he doesn't give you answers. Oh, it's an, it's an experience that is alien and he lets it be. And he writes in his, he writes in his afterward. If I explained it, where would be the fun? (laughs) I mean, it's, do you, do you really want a pat answer? Yeah. And some people do. It's true. But I happen to enjoy the fact he's like, you know, he's, he, he said there's, there's part of the story is the fact that it's mysterious. And I really appreciate that. But he also has a book that I just finished called You See the Monster. And it's very much in the horror space. But it's also got that fantasy aspect to it because it deals with entities that you might call the earlier descriptions of the fairies okay you know malevolent yes deal makers who will cheat you so that you can be in pain and they can watch you laugh you know while they laugh as as, as you writhe in agony um it's a, a journalist discovers a man who's just seems terribly unlucky bad things just keep happening to him no so the journalist decides to write about him and discovers there's a reason and he's got that reason's attention Mm. and it's i didn't like the ending because he went there yeah and i i realized i I knew he was gonna go there i was hoping he wouldn't go there because i'm like give me one little oh no it is a horror novel okay fair enough (laughs) (laughs) it's a satisfying ending that may leave you going yeah ah but it's i mean it's um it's a really solid novel. He writes some very interesting stuff. Um, he's dealt with a, a lot of his stuff tends to sit in the science fiction horror space. Some of it, there, there's a couple of his books that deal more with, um, they're really stories about people in a science fiction or horror setting. Right. So it's almost a backdrop. The The situation is might be awful, but that's a framework for a story about relationships and it's it's an interesting balancing act he does sometimes i think he's very interesting he's someone i'm going to be watching because it's not the these aren't the only books of his he has he's written a lot of novellas and so i'm i'm really kind of having fun exploring um because he's willing to go to some interesting dark places and sometimes he takes you out of them and sometimes he's like no no see this dark place that candle you're holding And you're like, oh, it's very dark in here. And I can hear something breathing right over my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of something breathing, I had best go take care of our guests, <clears throat> our unexpected guests. I, it was funny because you were talking and all of a sudden I heard I heard Mindy squealing a little bit. I'm like, what in the world is going on up there? 
because you know I, the dogs don't act up and very much you know and and i heard this this she made a vocalization that i've not heard her make and it wasn't a scream it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> fear it was just like what was that and this then suddenly you want to wrap up this episode early well then she's in here saying we have a mouse so i i i'm the mouse <laughs> feeling I probably got to go take care of the mouse. Is the mouse going to escape? I well, <laughs> see, I I don't know. Um, uh, it's one of those things. All right. Well, uh, but before before we go, let me let me just throw out a couple of other authors. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I won't go into the books, but these are folks that you should, guys should check out. Um, there's an author named uh, Heidi Goody and Ian Grant. These are British authors. They write together. Um, they have, uh, um, they wrote a fantastic series called odd jobs, which was what if you were the, what if you worked for the organization, the bureau, the bureaucratic organization that had to prepare for the Cthulhu interdimensional beasties coming through. Oh, sure. Um, what, what if it was your job to prepare humanity for destruction? Um, and it's, it's workplace British comedy. Uh, with horror it's very it's they're actually very funny um and they have written uh, a number of books together uh i highly recommend all of their stuff they're very funny and interesting uh writers um and then a lady named preemie mohammed who is also um it's all this is also in the lovecraftian beastie area um the basic premise is this is the world's smartest girl she is she is and she's like a super scientist she's a teenager she invents all this amazing things she's she's revolutionized the world she is a superstar mm -hmm. everybody loves her um she is literally moving through the world in a limo with a retinue with all these things she's rich beyond her wildest dreams she essentially has one friend in the world her old childhood friend and Quite frankly, he doesn't have that many friends, so they're really, really tight. Well, there's a reason she's the smartest girl in the world. She made a deal with the beasties from ah. beyond time, and now they're coming to collect. <laughs> they're they're interesting. I'm not. I'm, I'm in. There. I'm two books in. I yep. think it's going to be a three book series. I'm two books in. It's really interesting but it's uneven mm. so there's a fair warning um i think some parts of it are just really really tight really strong very interesting um this first part of the second book was rocky so there's your fair warning not enough for me to not say pick it up because i think it's interesting yeah um it's an interesting take on uh you know again your your lovecraftian beasties from beyond the void coming to eat humanity's souls um what if what if somebody what if somebody knew they were coming and was trying to stop them in the way they went about it probably not the smartest way yeah well yeah it's funny i went uh there was a there was a story there was a book that i read and uh i can't remember the name of it now it was the first book of a series and it's it's been published uh, a number of years ago now but it's in the pile somewhere and uh, it's a couple of tieflings, and one of them makes a deal with a devil type of character. And it's, it's in the, I think it's in the, it's in the Dungeons and Dragons 
winter uh, never winter series type you know oh, that okay. that yeah. environment and they're mm-hmm. going back to the city that's been destroyed, and everybody's going back to rebuild it, and all this. And it was pretty. It was a pretty good first first book. And I've I've told myself that I need to go find the other ones, just to see what, you know, because it's you know, it's a series, and they leave it at the end, mostly resolved, but not entirely. So they got to have something sure. to pick up in the next right. one. So right, exactly. So you want to be able to want to be able to pick something back up. But I was also thinking, because when Minnie and I were talking, we went and saw Dune uh, last week, and as we're coming out and we're talking about, you know, the difference in reading Dune and watching Dune, because there are going to be a lot of people who watch the movie who've never read the book. Right, sure. And we get to, we get to talking about various different things, novels and books and whatnot, and classic literature and that kind of thing. And it struck me, and I, and I'm, I'm debating with myself on how much to pursue this. But uh, at one point, I, I thought, all of these books that we read in high school that we didn't enjoy because they're boring or they're dull or they're you know just you know, for whatever reason, what, what would it be like? And would it be worth the time to go back and read some of these now, 30, 40 years later, because the book hasn't changed, but we have. So I'm I'm debating whether or not to pick up a couple of them. I, I, Moby Dick will not be one of them, but, you know... I, well, but we've talked, we've talked about this before, which yeah. is the idea that some of these books, the reason that we are told to read them when we're in our teens is because they changed literature at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that does make them important and that does make them valuable. Doesn't necessarily mean they're enjoyable to a modern audience because, you know, writing styles change <laughs> yeah. and what one, you know, if, if all you have to do to entertain yourself is read this book because you don't have any other options, there was there was one book I think I was in, I think we were sophomores sophomore or junior year in English class there was one book that we had to read that everybody hated except me I I actually thought it was rather interesting it was called The Good Earth and it was by Pearl S Buck Pearl S Buck yeah mm-hmm. and I saw it as an interesting window into this other culture, you know, this 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 whole thing because it's written in the past and it's this thing. And everybody else is like, it's boring. Oh, why do we have to read this? And we're like, are we reading the same right. book? I I don't know. I just it just it's well, you know, surprised I think that, me. So here here's here's a little I'll throw it out there and and you can go off and deal with your mouse. Yeah, I got to um, use a mouse. I think I think one of the things that uh, a lot of science fiction, fantasy, and horror readers, um, especially folks who who branch out into all of these areas, they're not just like one narrow. This is the only genre I read. Mm-hmm. Because you have an inquisitive mind, um, a lot of these things tend to to encourage that. I mean, you end up wanting to learn about the science sometimes from science fiction novels when it's a hard science fiction novel, and the author says this is potentially possible. I read this article or whatever, and you're like, "Ooh, I want to read that too." Yeah. 
the inquisitiveness, the curiosity can often lead you down other literature paths that can really in, improve your uh, enjoyment of the material you're already enjoying now because a lot of it has been influenced. Um, again, another author I didn't really talk about, a guy named Adrian Tchaikovsky. Um, he wrote a book that, or a novella that is heavily influenced by a certain piece of mythology that I won't spoil for you because mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, that you think the novel is one, the novella is one thing. And at the very end, you realize the novel novella is something else entirely. And you're like, that was very skillful, sir. <laughs> because he, he and, and it's clearly him retelling a certain myth in a science fiction setting. Yeah. And you're like, nice. Um, but uh, he also wrote a really hysterical time travel war novella uh, called uh, One Day All This Will Be Yours. Pick it up, folks. It's funny and uh, it's a love story. Oh, you mean like murder. you mean like time bangers? <laughs> Slightly less sex. No, less <laughs> sex. Um, a lot more violence. Okay. And um, and a really fascinating thought of what would happen if you really did have a time war. Mm. How nasty would it get? Um. And uh, and and what happens? What happens when two time warriors um, really face off against each other? No. It's very entertaining. I highly recommend this stuff. All right, all right. That's going to do it for us tonight. If you have recommendations you'd like to share with us, you can Please. always uh, leave us a comment, or you can send us an email: h two o at sci fi for me dot com. Uh, we do have other shows here on this channel. So if you're brand new, we do invite you to subscribe. Have your notifications turned on. Season three of Foreign Bodies has just started again. We had a brand new episode this past Saturday. Uh, Tim and uh, Leslie Walker looking at horror from France, of all places. And then I think uh, coming up on the 7th, the brand new Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. It's a new time and day, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 Central. So we do hope that you will join us for those as well. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. See you real soon. Why? Because we like you. Now we've got to go chase a mouse. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.